Section 13 of The Prince and Betty by P. G. Woodhouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter 13 Betty Makes a Friend. Betty had appealed to Master Maloney's aesthetic sense of beauty directly she appeared before him. It was with regret, therefore, rather than with the usual calm triumph of the office-boy, that he informed her that the editor was not in. Also, seeing that she was evidently perturbed by the information, he had gone out of his way to suggest that she lay her business, whatever it might be, before Mr. Renshaw's temporary successor. Smith received her with old-world courtesy. "'Will you sit down?' he said not to wait for comrade renshaw of course he will not be back for another three months perhaps i can help you i am acting editor the work is not light he added gratuitously sometimes the cry goes round new york can smith get through it all will his strength support his unquenchable spirit but i stagger on i do not repine what was it you wished to see comrade renshaw about he swung his monocle lightly by its cord. For the first time since she had entered the office, Betty was rather glad that Mr. Renshaw was away. Conscious of her defects as a stenographer, she had been looking forward somewhat apprehensively to the interview with her prospective employer. But this long, solemn youth put her at ease. His manner suggested in some indefinable way that the whole thing was a sort of round game. "'I came about the typewriting,' she said. Smith looked at her with interest. "'Are you the nominee?' "'I beg your pardon.' "'Do you come from Mrs. Oakley?' "'Yes.' "'Then all is well. The decks have been cleared against your coming. Consider yourself engaged as our official typist. By the way, can you type?' Betty laughed. This was certainly not the awkward interview she had been picturing in her mind. "'Yes,' she said, "'but I'm afraid I'm not very good at it.' "'Never mind,' said Smith. "'I'm not very good at editing. Yet here I am. I foresee that we shall make an ideal team. Together we will toil early and late till we whoop up this domestic journal into a shining model of what a domestic journal should be. What that is at present I do not exactly know. Excursion trains shall be run from the Middle West to see this domestic journal.' visitors from oskosh will do it before going on to grant's tomb what exactly is your name betty hesitated yes perhaps it would be better brown she said mine is smith the smiling child of the outer office is pugsy maloney one of our most prominent citizens homely in appearance perhaps but one of us you will get to like comrade maloney and now to touch on a painful subject work would you care to start in now, or have you any other engagements? Perhaps you wish to see the sights of this beautiful little city before beginning. You would prefer to start in now? Excellent! You could not have come at a more suitable time, for I was on the very point of sallying out to purchase about twenty-five cents worth of lunch. We editors, Comrade Brown, find that our tissues need constant restoration, such is the strenuous nature of our duties. You will find one or two letters on that table. Good-bye, then, for the present. 
He picked up his hat, smoothed it carefully, and with a courtly inclination of his head left the room. Betty sat down and began to think. So she was really earning her own living. It was a stimulating thought. She felt a little bewildered. She had imagined something so different. Mrs. Oakley had certainly said that Peaceful Moments was a small paper, but despite that her imagination had conjured up visions of bustle and activity, and a peremptory overdriven editor snapping out words of command. Smith, with his careful speech and general air of calm detachment from the noisy side of life, created an atmosphere of restfulness. If this was a sample of life in the office, she thought, the paper had been well named. She felt soothed and almost happy. Interesting and exciting things, New York things, began to happen at once. To her, meditating, there entered Pugsy Maloney, the guardian of the gate of this shrine of peace, a nonchalant youth of about fifteen, with a freckled mask-like face, the expression of which never varied, bearing in his arms a cat. The cat was struggling violently, but he appeared quite unconscious of it. Its existence did not seem to occur to him. "'Say,' said Pugsy. Betty was fond of cats. "'Oh, don't hurt her,' she cried anxiously. Master Maloney eyed the cat as if he were seeing it for the first time. "'I wasn't hurting her,' he said without emotion. "'There was two fresh kids in the street sickin' a dog on to her, and I comes up and says, "'Gwan, what do you think you's doin', fussin' de poor dumb animal?' And one of de guys says, "'Gwan, what do you think you's is?' And I says, "'I'm de guy what's going to swat you's on de cocoa, smarty, if you's don't quit fussin' de poor dumb animal.' So at daddy makes a break at swattin' me one, but I swats him one, and I swats the other feller one, and then I swats them both some more, and I gets the kitty. And I brings her in here, cause I thinks maybe you'll look after her. I can't be bothered myself. Cats is foolishness. And, having finished this Homeric narrative, Master Maloney fixed an expressionless eye on the ceiling and was silent. "'How splendid of you, Pugsy!' cried Betty. "'She might have been killed, poor thing!' she had it pretty fierce admitted master maloney gazing dispassionately at the rescued animal which had escaped from his clutch and taken up a strong position on an upper shelf of the bookcase will you go out and get her some milk pugsy she's probably starving here's a quarter will you keep the change sure thing assented master maloney he strolled slowly out while betty mounting a chair proceeded to chirrup and snap her fingers in the effort to establish the foundations of an entente cordiale with the cat by the time pugsy returned carrying a five-cent bottle of milk the animal had vacated the shelf and was sitting on the table polishing her face the milk having been poured into the lid of a tobacco tin in lieu of a saucer she suspended her operations and adjourned for refreshments Pugsy, having no immediate duties on hand, concentrated himself on the cat. "'Say,' he said, "'well?' "'Dat kitty. Pipe de leather collar she's wearin'. Betty had noticed earlier in the proceedings that a narrow leather collar encircled the animal's neck. "'Guess I know where dat kitty belongs. They all has those collars. I guess she's one of Bat Jarvis's kitties. He's got twenty-three of them, and they all has those collars.' bat jarvis sure who is he pugsy looked at her incredulously say ain't you's never heard of bat jarvis he's he's bat jarvis do you know him sure i knows him does he live near here sure he lives near here 
then i think the best thing for you to do is run round and tell him that i am taking care of his cat and that he had better come and fetch it i must be getting on with my work or i shall never finish it she settled down to type the letters smith had indicated she attacked her task cautiously she was one of those typists who are at their best when they do not have to hurry she was putting the finishing touches to the last of the batch when there was a shuffling of feet in the outer room followed by a knock on the door the next moment there entered a short burly young man around whom there hung like an aroma an indescribable air of toughness partly due perhaps to the fact that he wore his hair in a well-oiled fringe almost down to his eyebrows thus presenting the appearance of having no forehead at all his eyes were small and set close together his mouth was wide his jaw prominent not in short the sort of man you would have picked out on sight as a model citizen he blinked furtively as his eyes met betty's and looked round the room his face lighted up as he saw the cat say he said stepping forward and touching the cat's collar ma'am mine are you mr jarvis asked betty the visitor nodded not without a touch of complacency as of a monarch abandoning his incognito for mr jarvis was a celebrity by profession he was a dealer in animals birds and snakes he had a fancier's shop on Groom Street in the heart of the Bowery. This was on the ground floor. His living abode was in the upper story of that house, and it was there that he kept the twenty-three cats whose necks were adorned with leather collars. But it was not the fact that he possessed twenty-three cats with leather collars that had made Mr. Jarvis a celebrity. A man may win a local reputation, if only for eccentricity, by such means. Mr. Jarvis' reputation was far more from being purely local broadway knew him and the tenderloin tammany hall knew him long island city knew him for bat jarvis was the leader of the famous groom street gang the largest and most influential of the four big gangs of the east side to betty so little does the world often know of the greatest men he was merely a decidedly repellent-looking young man in unbecoming clothes but his evident affection for the cat gave her a feeling of fellowship toward him she beamed upon him and mr jarvis who was wont to face the glare of rivals without flinching avoided her eye and shuffled with embarrassment i'm so glad she's safe said betty there were two boys teasing her in the street i've been giving her some milk mr jarvis nodded with his eyes on the floor there was a pause then he looked up and fixing his gaze some three feet above her head spoke say he said and paused again betty waited expectantly he relaxed into silence again, apparently thinking. "'Say,' he said, "'Ma'am, obliged. Fond of the kit, I am.' "'She's a dear,' said Betty, tickling the cat under the ear. "'Ma'am,' went on Mr. Jarvis, pursuing his theme, "'obliged. Shan't forget it. Any time you're in bad, glad to be of service. Bat Jarvis, Groom Street. Anybody'll show you's where I live.' He paused and shuffled his feet then tucking the cat more firmly under his arm left the room betty heard him shuffling downstairs he had hardly gone when the door opened again and smith came in so have you had company while i was away he said who was the grandee with the cat an old childhood's friend was he trying to sell the animal to us that was mr bat jarvis said betty smith looked interested bat what was he doing here betty related the story of the cat smith nodded thoughtfully well he said i don't know that comrade jarvis is precisely the sort of friend i would go out of my way to select still 
You never know what might happen. He might come in useful. And now, let us concentrate ourselves tensely on this very entertaining little journal of ours, and see if we cannot stagger humanity with it. End of chapter 13 Read by Don W. Jenkins, Rancho San Diego, California, shaggybark.blogspot.com